This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello. And welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio. With Christopher Gonzalez and... Megan Barcelia. Today, in our special under one hour episode, we will be talking about success in the dance world in general and how that specifically applies to success in the line dance world. We have a couple different articles here, one of which is titled Dance Life and How to Make Money Doing What You Love on steamit.com. And the other one is How to Make It in the Dance Biz with No Money, 15 Tips. Both of these have a variety of useful tips I think you may enjoy hearing about. We'll start with Dance Life and How to Make Money Doing What You Love by Water Fire Paper on Steemit, S-T-E-E-M-I-T dot com. After you put in your 10,000 hours, it's time to make money, right? Starving artist isn't a phrase used without reason. If you're an independent person and you're living in a large city close to the heart of the dance world, getting your feet off the ground can be difficult. I speak on the side of street-style dances, including breakdance, b-boying, hip-hop, poppin', house, locking, and styles thereof. When it comes to making money in dance... There are only a few options. 1. Perform. It's most dancers' dream to perform as backup dancers or be in a large production showcase. Depending on the scale of the shows and how consistent, dancers can bring in $100 to a few thousand per show. I'm not sure that this one will apply as much to line dance. What are your thoughts? Well... I guess it can add to why um, event directors would hire you on at a at an event. Good point. Was because you have that ability to perform not only by yourself but in a large group. Because I know a lot of events enjoy putting on the the showcase at night. Um, so that might be something to consider. Is maybe not necessarily perform specifically but as just another tool in your toolbox for as to why you would get hired true definitely give you the leg up number two win competitions a freestyle battle or a choreography competition will give you prize money anywhere from 100 to 250 thousand dollars these require you to be the best and take a lot of energy and stamina. If you live in a large city like New York or L.A., you can find these happening almost every day and every weekend. Well, I would say more than New York and L.A. simply because we have events all over the world that offer different prizes. Uh, some of them are teaching spots. Some of them are money. Some of them are other um you know, different things such as like bags or jackets and stuff like that. Um, I know uh, by entering them, you get that kind of exposure as well. So people can 
also take your dances back as well as ha- look to hire you on as for events. Mm-hmm. Indeed, the specific money part of prize money and choreography competitions is definitely not $250,000 in the line dance world, but it is a step in the right direction because it does give you that exposure to a wider audience, which if you're able to you know, follow up on and capitalize on with good dances and a personality that makes people want to hire you at events, that can lead to showing up at more events, perhaps on staff and for a more regular income. So in this case, it would be less about one big splashy prize and more the start of a long career in the field. Mm -hmm. Number three, going back to Joe's CMT days, win a TV show. Big scale competitions like So You Think You Can Dance offer the winner $1 million deal. These shows are less about your dancing and more about your showmanship, background story, and how good they can sell you. I think they mean how well they can sell you. Most shows are scripted, and you must waive your rights of ownership. So this one's only loosely related to what Joe used to do, but uh, CMT used to host a TV show, uh, and I think that's where she had Dance Ranch Romp as a competition dance that people would dance, and then they would be judged on how they did doing that dance. There aren't really a lot of TV shows uh, in the line dance world about line dance these days. I'm I'm not sure that there are any, in fact. But maybe we can talk to Seven Arrow Films and see what can be done about that. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out on this particular one how to relate it to line dance but a a lot of the tv shows is the idea of the overall which is the 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 dancing obviously but also your showmanship background story um and what you have to offer which can kind of actually go towards the event world as well because it is about um what you bring to the table as an individual um, people willing to get to know you, what kind of personality you have, as well as um, being able to go out there and teach the lessons and you know show that you know the dances and stuff like that. Number four, teach. Teaching others how to do what you do is a skill in itself. But for the right person, it can be a decent way to earn money. It's a gradual process, and you may only have one class for a while. Dance teachers can make twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year, and masters in their field can bring up to seventy-five thousand dollars. For new teachers, earnings can be five hundred dollars to five thousand dollars per year. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of us enjoy the teaching uh, our local classes and our at our local venues, and we definitely make money doing that. But I mean, this is not hand over fist kind of money. But the more classes you have and the more skills you have and the more marketing that you do, the more you're able to get in your local area, as well as if you're hired on for the events, that's when, you know, you start getting more of that kind of income. 
Yeah, it can be it can be tricky to be creative with how to market your dance class depending on what else is available in the area because if everybody is doing a normal beginner line dance class because in our area there is not that quote problem we do not have really a, a saturation of line dance classes i know that in other cla- in other areas there are a lot of classes and a lot of competition for students so people are all trying to figure out what's going to make their class different and this is when it's helpful to have a diversity of um, types of beginner classes that you can teach so some people might be focusing on beginners who are kids like after school program uh, with their sorts of music and the steps that they like to do some people might be focusing on seniors uh, and then within seniors you may even have you know wheelchair dance or chair dance that is sort of line dance uh, just modified and then beyond beginners you know, you've got your intermediate mainstream classes uh, with contemporary music and then you've got intermediate classics for the people who've been in the whole country line dancing for the past 20 something years but just haven't learned all the dances that they've seen around them over all that time. So they might just now be catching up on things like Chill Factor or other tricky intermediate Blue Finger Lou type dances. So having one specific type of class or one formula for teaching may not be enough, unless you have a monopoly in your area, uh, may not be enough to provide all of your income, but you can diversify within the different styles and make sure that everybody with their own unique stories and limitations is attended to. Number five, hit or hustle. Hitting refers to dancing on the street, subway, or any public area in order to receive tips. There are NYC dancers known for making thousands off of this, but there are territories and unwritten rules to the game. This isn't really as common in our area, where people will just set up shop in a shopping mall and start dancing, as we've heard happens in other countries. There could be, as long as it's arranged with the mall ahead of time or with whatever the public institution is, uh, there can be a space set aside for a line dance class so that people passing by see the dancers almost like a flash mob and they wonder what's going on here. I should jump in and I should ask around what's, what's this dance thing that they're all doing that they all seem to know the steps to. And then if you have a helper or a back wall assistant technician or whatnot, uh, they can find out how they can join more formally rather than just kind of mimicking steps on the sidelines. They can join an actual class. That would probably be the closest I would I would uh, see this tip applying for line dance. Because other than that, Random public performances just kind of sounds to me like what uh, what Line Dance Club has done with tabling, where 
it happens out in the middle of a space, but it's not, as they're saying, done for tips as much as to draw awareness of another place that people can go. And maybe that place has a more formal income structure, like signing up for a six-week line dance class. Yeah, I was actually thinking more along the lines of, say, like a farmer's market or somewhere like along those lines, simply because you're out there and there's people that are going to be gathered there. But like you were saying, it is a little bit more structured in that now you have reserved a spot and, you know, you're out there doing the line dancing and people are going to be asking you about it. And then that's when you can feed them more information regarding local classes or local events that they can go to, or if you're doing like a workshop or anything like that. Um, I definitely have not seen hitting or hustle or whatever they're calling it in our area, other than the occasional street performer at, say, um, San Francisco Wharf. But even then, for street dancing, you hardly ever see it. And you are referring to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco? Yes. Number six, judge. If you are top tier in your style, you can judge competitions. Can make... Can make... I wonder if you could make money as a proofreader for... Articles such as this. You can make $50 to over 1000 per competition. St- starting off at small local jams can help those new to the top tier. I'm not sure how judges are compensated at line dance events. But I imagine they must get a little something extra for doing extra work. I would think so. I know there are several different people that you could probably speak to. Uh, such as, uh, I think, Jonas and uh, Daniel Chappet, maybe. You must be careful of how economic your energy use is. If you're spending eight hours at a competition going through many rounds and using lots of energy, which you must put back in you, on top of the entry fee, it may not be worth it. Dance or any skill takes a long time to master, and in the arts the return on investment is very slow can be very rewarding. You must be in for the long haul. The Hungry Dancer's Dilemma An athletic dancer can expend over 5,000 calories in a hard training session or show. This leaves one's body depleted of energy and nutrients. Combine this with the financially starved dancer and you get a physically fit body going towards the cliff of malnutrition. One dollar pizza, Mickey D's, a box of fried chicken, with some sugar-packed energy bars and some sugar water to wash it all down with. These are the cheap, tasty choices for the average dancer in all circles. Even the more healthy-minded still get stuck in the convenience habit. Unfortunately, these foods are all low in nutrients and only serve to fill the stomach. This is the downfall of many dancers in the long run. Sure, in your teens and early twenties you can power through, but soon your body will start to feel it. Your muscles stiffen, joints tighten, stamina slows, body fat catches up, and recovery time starts to take considerably longer. Why do you need to recover quickly? Simply put, the less time your body spends healing, the more time you can spend in 
putting those 10,000 hours. I spend most weeks putting in 12 to 15 hours and reaching 25 to 30 hours on a busy week. This is down considerably from the 30 to 35 plus hours I put in every week for the first 10 years of my training. My body has aged and I am now in my, quote, prime physical age for the next three to five years. In the long run, it's about longevity. Nutritional health, sleep, and balance in physical activities are key. I divide my time between practices, shows, teaching classes, and casual dancing. They are all intense in their own ways, and all deserve proper recovery. Put money into your food. You are what you eat. Buy organic, nutrient-dense foods. Eat lots of greens. Don't be cheap on yourself. You may have to make sacrifices elsewhere if you're not in strong financial standings, but it's worth it. You get the added benefits of not being sick as often or even for periods of many years. Your body will be stronger and you won't get hurt as easier and recover quicker. Your body is a machine. It's a high-end performing race car. Feed it the good stuff. In what way do we do that when we're out on the road at events, when it can be tempting to eat whatever's at the gift shop? We certainly like to go grocery shopping when we're at events. Uh, While we're at home, we also go to Costco and you get, you know, eggs and large bag of spinach and stuff along those lines where it'll last you longer uh, as well as give you more of the nutrients you need. I know lately I've been looking into um, different fruits and like what benefits they have having them in the morning versus the afternoon and the likes. I haven't quite come up with a full conclusion yet, but uh, I'm looking at those lines. Um, As well as just being more aware of certain things along the lines of like energy drinks and taking those out of your diet and some of us are also still caffeine free and you know not drinking soda and stuff along those lines that allows your body to heal as well as not run on added uh, chemicals and not have like sugar crashes and such I know for me Generally speaking, when I'm craving something sweet or sugary, I turn to fruits because they have natural sugar in them, uh, stuff like that. So it's just kind of being aware of, of what you're craving and the reasons as to why you're craving it. Generally speaking is because you're used to either getting a higher amount of it or you're missing it in your diet so you need to find a healthy alternative to it and not just go to the local fast food restaurant and you know buy that that extra pack of soda because it's on sale or something along those lines yeah since the article is focused on how to make money doing what you love there's also the saying uh, a penny saved is a penny earned and you can save a lot of money by planning what you're going to eat in advance rather than scrambling to find something at the last minute. And I think in general, like what they're talking about with sleep as well as uh, nutrition, 
having a plan for how things are going to happen. Like I'm going to get this amount of sleep and then I'm going to have these kinds of foods and I can, I can prep for all of that the day before that will make everything that follows a lot easier as opposed to I'm going to squeeze in sleep under tables and in hallways wherever I can, when I can, and I'm going to eat whatever's around. Hopefully somebody has pizza that I can get a couple slices of. Um, or if if there's nothing cheap around, you just settle for whatever you have to buy uh, from you know the hotel restaurant, and then that costs money, and it might not even be the best thing for your body. Having a plan further in advance at home or while traveling will save you stress and also money. So when you uh, do receive any kind of money, like prize money from competition or whatever, you get to keep it. You don't waste it on damage control. Also includes flights and hotels, doing things further in advance there too. Last paragraph here is how to obtain longevity. Space out physical activities for proper resting time. One day of rest or minimal activity is best. Sleep well. Your body heals best during sleep. 8 to 10 hours minimum. Stretch before, during, and after practice. Stretch to warm up before and stretch for flexibility after. Eat well. Probably the most important, eat nutritionally dense meals. Average 50% green veggies, 30% protein, 20% carbs and sugars from fruit. Dance efficiently. I will dive into this in another post, but keys like breathing, balance stances, posture, and working with your core, and not against it. So, next practice, instead of grabbing a Gatorade and a slice, grab some water and a salad. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much it's everything we've already gone over. Uh, You've had uh, good experiences with stretching recently. Yeah, actually. Um, I've been, this morning, for example, uh, I woke up pretty much two hours before I had to be where I needed to be. And I went downstairs and I made myself some tea. And I went up, went back upstairs and I did some yoga for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then I, by then my tea had cooled down. So I was able just to kind of enjoy the morning and just resting and kind of easing into the day nice and relaxing. And it certainly afforded me more time and energy to getting my day started. So I felt really refreshed this morning for our, our class with Dolly and I found that it it certainly does help to have that little extra time in the morning and to have that stretching routine uh, it didn't it wasn't as hard for me to get into the dances today and like warm up my body because I had already stretched before and I find that a lot of times it does take me a dance or two to kind of warm myself up. So if I jump into an overly complicated, advanced, fast-paced kind of dance, um, I'm more likely to strain something if I'm not careful. So if I stretch beforehand, it's going to allow my, my muscles the flexibility they're going to need for something like that. And I know we've gone over an article about, you know, 
uh, avoiding injuries. So there's that that you can reference as well. Um, sleep is pretty big. I know we've noticed um, while we're preparing for Fort, the upcoming Fort Wayne event, our sleep schedule has certainly gotten off track for both of us. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things I think we're feeling the effects of. Uh, but I do know that I've been more aware of what I've been eating. So I'm just hoping that with the stretching and the eating, I might be able to get the sleep back on control as well. Um, I am interested to read the other article, The Dance Efficiently. Uh, I think it is important to focus on breathing and, and balance and posture while you're working, while you're actually dancing. And I know they've said things about like dance from your core so that it's not like your legs doing all the work. It's your whole body working together. So stuff like that's important to consider as well. Um, and I do know that the having one day of rest where you don't do dancing can be really nice. You can still have it be a, a dance-related activity, such as finding new songs or looking up new dances and preparing lessons for your upcoming week and stuff like that, but you're not actually physically dancing. This article on steemit.com, which is S-T-E-E-M-I-T dot com, written by Waterfire Paper, all one word, is Dance Life and How to Make Money Doing What You Love. Next up, we have How to Make It in the Dance Biz with No Money, 15 Tips, from Ashani Mfuko, M-F-U-K-O, on letstalkdance.net. How to make it in the dance biz with no money. Yesterday, one of my Twitter fodder... Yesterday, one of my Twitter followers asked me a really fantastic question. It was for some advice on how to pursue your dreams as a dancer when you have very little money and lots of bills. This is a situation that most dancers can relate to, and certainly one that I can speak on from personal experience. When I graduated from college with a Bachelor of Arts degree in dance and in Hispanic studies, I was completely and utterly broke. I didn't even have money to buy a Metro card to take the train to go to dance classes or auditions. It was really tough. I ended up going back to work at the office job I worked at all throughout college during spring, winter, and summer break to try and earn some money and start building my dream career. It was definitely an uphill battle, with lots of challenges, but I eventually made my way back into the dance world and learned how to build a successful career with little to no money and lots of bills. Here are my 15 tips for making it in the dance biz with little to no money. Number one, do what you can with what you have where you are right now. You're not always going to have the resources that you need or want to help you throughout your career. Sometimes you're going to have to get creative and work with what you've got. Don't let a lack of money or resources stop you or discourage you. Figure out how you can use what you have right now within you and around you to help you reach your goals. Then, build from there. Everyone has to start somewhere. I guess some of the things that came to mind 
is the idea that we we've both relatively limited funds and we want to go to as many dance events as humanly possible. And I think from our track record last year, we did a pretty good job. How we did that is by looking at the cheapest flights possible, which include awful layovers and very un, un, unattractive times and not necessarily the most luxurious seat accommodations or something along the lines of you have to pay for even bringing on a carry-on kind of situation in which we have learned how to pack as light as possible and still pack all the necessary items required for the event. Um, I know one of our friends, Hagen, had posted something similar along the lines of how he'll take a nine-hour bus ride because he saves hundreds of dollars um, as opposed to a quick flight kind of situation. I, uh, I know you and I are very lucky in which we do a lot of these events together, so we're able to split the cost of like hotel rooms. And with that said, a lot of times we stay off-site. So... While everybody's making their way to the elevator to go upstairs to their room, we're making our way out the door to our hotel. Um, I know our, our last uh, endeavor for uh, Big Bang, not only did we use the free nights uh, from Hotels.com, but we also stayed at a place, so it ended up being only like $20 a night, where I believe the event... Um, hotel was closer to like a hundred, so that's a drastic difference. Um, so it's just it's knowing that you can go to these events if that is your ultimate goal. You can, lack of a better term, compromise your you know comfortability getting there. So you can fly play, uh, on airliners like Frontier or Spirit to save money and you don't get the nice leg room or the cushion seats that recline but you get there nonetheless. I think this also applies to local classes especially following the closure of Mavericks in 2015 you kind of just look around and see what is available because Mavericks was great. It had this huge floor, a sprung wood floor and places to get food and beverages right inside the building. And afterwards we still wanted to dance somewhere and not have to drive an hour and a half, but we kind of had to get creative and be like, okay, if we move the tables off of this part of this restaurant, we could make Lakeside Grill work or trade winds we could we could squeeze out a little bit of extra space from trade winds if we reorient the room so that wall one is someplace else uh, or you know hot monk and twin oaks have been doing well uh, for not being specifically line dance dedicated venues the way mavericks was billed they seem to be doing all right they have wood floors and they are willing to 
allow people in for the purpose of line dance on a given day per week. So you make it work. It's not it's not something that was built with line dance in mind, but we have certainly adapted it to fit that purpose. Also, there's the saying, use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. And this can apply to the clothes that you take dancing with you. Uh, you don't have to have the nicest of everything, and you don't have to have that much of everything, as long as you have just enough for a class or for an event. Like, when I go to an event, I have maybe two or three outfits that are really, like, my nicest dance-ready outfits. And that's really it. That's just enough to get through the weekend. But I don't spend money on a whole bunch of elaborate costume changes so I can wear four different things in one day. I have just what I need. And that saves me money in not having to buy those things in the first place. And also it saves me money in not having to pack a larger bag, which in almost all airline cases we've seen costs more. So I may have more specific examples uh, as we go further down the list, but uh, I I have a feeling we'll be coming back to this theme in, in more items along this list. One also that we have is Ives. Ives 35 and Ives um, classrooms at Ives Hall at Sonoma State University. We don't have a paid rented dance studio where we go in like normal dancers would who are trying to brush up on their partner dancing skills. We just have a local university. I bought a $94 parking pass to my alma mater, Sonoma State University. And some nights when classes are all out for the day, we get in there and move all the chairs out to the sides of the room and there you go dance floor (laughs) other people go in there during the day and they think yeah this is a a good place to you know learn about history or music or whatever and we see an open space that isn't the parking lot and think what a great space for dancing we see that in a lot of unusual locations like they say you uh, do what you can with what you have where you are sometimes physically right now two Join a work-study program or be an intern. Don't have money to take dance classes? Try going on work-study at your local dance studio. Studios are always in need of administrative help, help cleaning the studio, assisting teachers, etc. And this can apply in line dance to volunteering so that you can take workshops uh, at events. That's exactly where I was going to go with that. You can certainly... Uh, contact any of the event managers and ask them about volunteering. They always have more than enough work to spread around for people. And a lot of times that will include some type of discounted rate or some of them will give you free passes for the weekend. So instead of spending the $160 plus for the weekend by... Uh, checking wristbands at the door for a couple hours throughout the weekend and maybe helping set up for decorations for the big night. Um, you know, they'll, they'll see that as, you know, a form of payment. You're, you're helping them and they're helping you. And the whole goal is to get everybody to as many events as possible and dance and have fun. So a lot of times they're really, really willing to work with many different individuals. And definitely don't quote me on this, but some of the folks who have dance studios like Roy Hedisabrodo and Roy Verdonk, 
if I recall correctly, I think some of them may be willing to do something similar where if you're, if you're there, if you're living near that dance studio and you are able to work the front desk or something along those lines, they may be more willing to give you a discounted rate as a student or perhaps you know, compensate your, uh, your dues as a student because you're in, you're in the room, like while they're teaching dance, of course, you're going to learn something. You know, even if you're working the front desk or you can uh, figure out your hours so that you work before class and then you work after class, you sweep the floor and then during class, you get to be like, like a normal student. Number three, use free resources. Don't have money for a website? Use a free platform like Wix.com or WordPress.com or Tumblr to establish a base for your online presence and showcase your portfolio, your value proposition as a dance artist, and what you're all about. We've definitely done this with Facebook. Sonoma State uh, Line Dance Club and uh, Line Dance Podcast each have presence on Facebook. And YouTube, which is a free service that hosts many of our dance videos, whether just open dance videos we've taken at events or even tutorial videos, uh, which we have on occasion recorded. Uh, I know that Rachel has recently launched a Vimeo on-demand site uh, for her tutorial and demo videos so that you can watch demos, short demos for free or pay a dollar to download them and you can pay $3 to rent the lesson or $5 to download the lesson of various dances of hers, at least 100 at this point, I believe. Uh, and getting started on those sites is free. All the money changes hands when people pay for something specific that you're offering on that site. Use of the site itself does not cost anything. Yeah, I was certainly thinking using social media as a huge resource. Um, it's very easy to create a, a separate uh, Facebook page in which you're an administrator of without having to create a whole new account, which is nice. Um, and regular updates as well as, like you were saying, YouTube. The only downside with stuff like YouTube is you have to be careful of m the music copyrights. So definitely look into those. But uh, one of the other things I was thinking of is um, free resources. For instance, like going out and tabling for club. You know, it doesn't cost us anything other than our time and energy to go out there dance a little bit, you know, tell people about where we're meeting, and then they have the option of coming and joining us. So certainly things like that, where you can showcase what's going on, and then also tell them that they can reference a site on Facebook makes it really easy for them to find where you are. Building on what you're saying there, I'm going to jump down to number five before we come back to number four. Master social media and network, network, network. You can literally build your own dance brand, build beneficial relationships, get jobs, and earn money all through strategic social media marketing and online branding. Get active on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn to start. Be professional, be open and honest, and connect with others in the dance industry. Dance Like Everybody's Watching has been very successful in just blanketing the different forms of social media. Uh, and Andrea Mulbauer is a very talented social media, I guess, 
budding guru uh, to manage all of that with a consistent look and vision and feel. Uh, Line Dance Podcast is a little more narrow in its focus um, because it's so niche as a form of dance, but I think we do okay on at least a couple of our social media outreach prongs. Yeah, I know a lot of people also use several of the different line dance groups out there as well to advertise their classes and their workshops and even their new dances. Um, again, that's social media and you know, hundreds of people can see this in a day. They may not necessarily be in your area right now, but I know of a few different people that because of that kind of situation that if I'm ever in their area on a night in which they're doing line dancing, I'm certainly going to try and see about joining their class or their lesson for that particular night. Um, a lot of people advertise like upcoming cruise events where they're going to be instructing line dances on these cruises. And then you also get the benefits of the cruise. I know right now, um, the competition for stagecoach down in Southern California is starting to make its circulation through Facebook. Um, it, it's a genius idea where they're not only giving away free tickets just in general um, for attendees at certain venues, like for instance, Stoney's Rock and Rodeo up here in Sacramento, but at several different locations throughout LA and up here at Stoney's, they're going to hold a dance competition in which you can potentially not only win admission tickets, but also the opportunity to dance on the stagecoach dance team in the honky tonk tent, which gets you into the event you're dancing the whole weekend on stage. They do a really good job of also giving you some time off so you can enjoy the huge country concerts that are going on for those three days and get to see some good live music and just really enjoy yourself as well as spend the time dancing. Um, well, they're promoting that by promoting it via Facebook right now. And I know that there's several different people who are resharing it and sharing it to different sites and whatnot. And that definitely brings more of an awareness out there. Good example with Stagecoach. Jumping back to number four, don't have money for photos, a real barter. There are always photographers slash videographers looking to build their portfolios. Figure out if there's some sort of help or service that you can offer a photographer slash videographer in exchange for some professional photos or a reel. Stock photography is also a great way to get professional photos for your portfolio. I don't know whether Kelly Christine Photography offers anything like a trade for the professional photos that are taken of dancers at events, but it's certainly worth reaching out and asking. Also, um... I believe she typically does a pretty good $5 per picture kind of deal at these events as well. And I'm sure she's more than willing to speak with anyone who wants to do like a private headshot or something like that. 
um, at these events for any upcoming things they need. I know me personally, I'm very, very fortunate and I have several different photographers in my area and are close friends of mine that I'm able to ask them for pictures if I wish to do so, as well as um, my brother's currently going to school for, uh, well, I don't actually know exactly, but he's in the film I guess, um, studies area in which he's learning how to film different things as well as like, you know, cut and, and edit as well as like music and stuff like that. Uh, and he is definitely, we've spoken and talked about possibly doing a couple projects for any demos that we might need in the upcoming future so that he can add it to any of his work that he needs to present for college for a grade. So not only does it add to his portfolio, but it actually adds towards his education. So that's certainly something that we've discussed. Um, I know you could probably reach out to several different students at the colleges in your area and probably arrange something similar. Be like, this is one of the things that I needed. Um, do you guys have any upcoming projects that you maybe want to collaborate on? And then you can use the feed for your portfolio and I can use it for my advertising. So it's certainly something to consider. Number six, read. Educate yourself. Nowadays, you can do it at no cost or at a very low cost. Read blogs. They have tons of valuable free information to help you grow read free books slash ebooks on amazon or on your kindle borrow books from your local library or get the e-version to borrow and read on your tablet if you have one copper knob makes it very easy to read most step sheets that you would like to find uh, for the dances that you want to learn also doris volts and a few others i think one-eyed parrot have uh, dance blogs that you can read to find uh stories from dance days of yore as well as reviews of dances um, broken down by uh, music style and number of counts things like that and uh, yeah, I guess you know, line dance podcast sometimes is helpful for those who would like to educate themselves on whatever it is that we think we're educating you on <laughs> uh, based on the title of the episode uh, but yeah, mostly I would focus on just grabbing those free or freely accessible step sheets online from Copper Knob, Kick It, uh, Line Dancer Web, any of those sources. Oh, and also, if you have a general dance style you want to learn more about so that you can do your favorite nightclub style dance or waltz style dance, you can just look up at the library books on those partner dances. Um, I believe there are some on YouTube as well. Like, I think uh, Joe and Tim, J Joe Thompson Zmanski and Tim Zmanski did a video series a while back, some of which is available online so that even though you're kind of learning how to do specific movements in partner dance, it will generalize to that style of dance in line dance. Yes, I highly recommend accessing the site's such as Copper Knob, Blind Dancer Web, Kick It for your step sheets, uh, as well as just kind of read in general. I mean, it's always a good practice for 
healthy lifestyle is just to be reading. Um, and like you had mentioned, you can go to your local library and, you know, research different dance styles. You can find out histories of them as well as you can even look in more into like the business side of things. You can, you know, borrow books along the lines of social media or marketing or something along those lines, uh, designs, logos, different things that you're going to be able to use because you have a better understanding of it to market yourself and your dance ability and whatever your goal might be. Number seven, get a mentor. Someone you know, either virtually or in real life, has already done what you're trying to do. Connect with someone who can help you grow, give you wise advice and direction, expose you to great resources, and connect you with the right people for your career goals. This is also free. I cannot stress enough about this one. Um, I reach out to anyone who is willing to respond when it comes to some type of dance question, choreography question, uh, styling, different music, how they pick music, certain things like that. Um, I, you know, it's, I reach out to Joe a lot. Um, Amy is another one I reach out to. Kat's my actual competition coach. Uh, you know, Brenda, we've asked for feedback for. Um, I talked to Ruben at just just at Palm Springs. Uh, Michael and Michelle, we're going to talk to them, you know, in regards to different event management. I mean, they're, the wonderful and amazing thing about the line dance community is they are so helpful and so willing to try and answer whatever questions that you might have in regards to something they might have any kind of knowledge on. And I've even had them say, you know what, I'm not as proficient in that. I would ask this person. I've had them redirect me to someone else that they think is going to be a better source of information. I've even had, um, I've had Joe in, inform me that I should ask Rachel about something. Um, and get multiple in in uh, mo- multiple opinions on one particular topic because she thinks that the more opinions you have on said topic, the better well-rounded you're going to be. This next one applies partly to the same people and uh, as well specifically with perhaps event directors. Build relationships and be proactive. If there's a particular dance company you'd like to dance with, take their classes or workshops and connect with the choreographer slash artistic director. Express your interest, give them your headshot and resume, and audition. Go beyond that and offer to assist them in some way with marketing, administrative work, or by possibly being an understudy. This can help for events. If there is some way that you are so useful to an event that you seem indispensable, eventually to make sure that you stay present and um, on staff formally in following years, you may be offered a position to teach or DJ or whatever else your skill set may involve. Uh, And when they say connect with the choreographer slash artistic director, 
I suppose that can also relate to collaborating on dances with choreographers. If you're trying to understand how they come up with these movements that seem perfectly normal and natural, but to you to generate would be impossible, you can ask if it's possible to shadow them, listen to the music that they listen to, and see how you can bridge that gap between where you are and where your instincts are and what they end up coming up with. Like, say, a Guyton or a Darren or a Fred. I agree. Number nine. Work harder than you've ever worked in your life. Practice and stretch at home, not just in dance class. Be the best you can be at everything you do, whether that's school or a non-dance-related job. A habit of excellence spills over into every area of your life, and people will notice. There's a saying that I like... Um, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I think even if you're just watching the door, checking wristbands, or making sure that people have the right registration packet and are smiling when they enter the event after you hand it to them, everything will reflect well on your work ethic as a whole and will show that your intent is for everybody to have the best dance experience possible, however you can do uh, your job to help that happen. That was exactly what I was thinking when you were um, reading that prompt, I guess, was your how much you like saying that. Uh, a few things that I was kind of thinking of is, one, like we do a lot of prep homework. We do a lot of, of late-night dancing research, and then we go and print out the step sheets and we use different videos and we teach ourselves some of these classics that people aren't teaching anymore just so that we can be prepared when we go to our next event. We research and talk with other teachers and instructors regarding dances that they enjoy teaching uh, so that we can bring new dances out to where we teach and potentially have some fun overlap. We also, I would have to say, love what we do. And so, although it's a lot of hard work per se, it's a lot of fun work. So that's going to be key right there. When they were talking about be the best that you can be at everything you do, including non-dance related jobs, I find that this is really, really true. When you start to cut corners and you learn that you can get away with cutting corners, it really does affect everything. You start cutting corners everywhere versus if you do everything to the best of your ability you know at the end of the day, no matter what happened, you gave it your all. So you're more likely to try again the next day and do better, which also will spill over, like they were saying, into dancing. So if you do everything you can to prepare yourself, eating healthy, getting good night's sleep, practicing those dances that you've been taught, researching new ones, um, stuff like that, and, and doing it at home, in your garage, in your kitchen, going to your local university, whatever class you teach, if you're able to get five minutes of dance floor space after your class and you're able to use that, using that, 
listening to the songs over and over in your car so that you're able to walk through the steps, no problem. It all adds into having a better overall understanding and experience. And when you see the positive results of that, you're more likely to work even harder. Yeah, there was another saying that came to mind when you were talking about how it's fun and it's uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life because yeah, it does just kind of start to feel like play, which also reminds me of a a semi related quote uh, about choosing your major in college. Uh, Choose a major you love and you'll never work a day in your life because they're probably not hiring. (laughs) I like that one. I also um, like what you were mentioning about finding ways to not cheap out on possible opportunities to grow. And this is where getting up and just doing the darn electric slide or Cupid shuffle or whatever it is that you have an opportunity to do can help you because you might think, oh, no, I already know that one. So I don't need to I don't need to do work right now or I can just slop my way through it. But you know what? That can be your posture exercise that can be your balance your carriage uh, your foot placement and it may seem like you already know what you you need to do for cupid shuffle so you don't have to think about it but there's always something you can fix maybe it's posture or core or intent or what's your right hand doing when you do that quarter turn to the left in the cupid shuffle there's always something that you can be working on if you choose to work on it So when it's you and some other person and you're both giving a start point and you say, all right, in in three weeks, uh, let's see how many cumulative hours you've put into this and let's see what kind of progress you've made. The person who is saying, okay, I'm going to take, you know, 20 minutes and work on, you know, formal stuff. And the other person's like, yeah, okay, well, I'll do 20 minutes of formal stuff. And you're both keeping pace on that. But one person is also taking the... 30 seconds to think about this other thing or five seconds to correct their posture at the start of the 20 minutes so that they can really make the most of those 20. Like they're finding all these little squeaked in bits of growth that the other person didn't even see. And that makes it seem like they found some, I don't know, like portal to a a timeless dimension of learning when the other person thinks that they've both been doing the same amount of work. Like, no, uh, you know, there's 20 minutes and then there's 20 minutes plus five, plus 10, plus three, plus 30 seconds. And that person who's squeezing work in everywhere they possibly can is going to have something that uh, they can present afterwards as looking like they have done more work. And I think that there was another thought that I had about this that hopefully will come to me later. Number 10, be honest, professional, and a person of integrity. Your reputation precedes you, so make sure you establish a good one. This alone can get you many jobs. I like this one. I like this one too. There's there's several things about this one that I love. Um, I look at who I respect and who has done this before me. And the examples they have set, both good and bad. And I try and think about what kind of person I want to be. 
And then I try and find my own ways of implementing their particular, how they've done their examples and finding how I would do it. And so I kind of use them as like a blueprint per se and just adjust accordingly to my style and what I want to do and what I want to achieve. I think it's very important to be honest. I think it's important not to be cruel. You can give honest feedback without being mean. Um, You can word it more as a question as to why did you do that as in as opposed to I have no clue what you're doing right there. Um, Comes across completely different when you're speaking with someone and when that someone is receiving that information. Being professional. um, Huge, huge thing that I have always heard is dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So putting that time and energy into hygiene, into your outfits, into just presenting yourself in a more desirable uh, professional manner is going to be like well look at you know they always take that extra time they always take that extra effort to present themselves in a certain manner they obviously care Um, and just I mean I can't even say person of integrity enough so I think it's really really important to realize that what you say to one person matters how you say what you say to one person matters and I think a huge thing is along the lines of being the change you want to see um I guess one of the things guiding you know fake it till you make it it's the same kind of concept you know if you genuinely want this you have to take the necessary steps to do it well how do you do that you take those steps of looking at what you're posting online looking at what you're talking about at events looking at what you're bringing to events are you the type of person to sit out 90% of the dances and only dance one or are you the type of person to take everybody's lesson if you have the free time are you the type of person to be in the back row and wall lead or are you the one on the sidelines you know it's it really is what do you want and what's going to give you the most joy I love being out there learning everybody's dances I love being out there floor leading I love helping people I love dancing with everyone so I'm going to keep doing that and if I can find one more way to be helpful to someone else I'm gonna try and figure it out you reminded me of what the other point was in uh, work harder than you ever worked in your life what we were talking about uh how if you, if it's something you love to do that doesn't really feel like work, there's the suggestion people have for finding your calling, which is uh, imagine you had enough money to never have to worry about your basic needs and, and expenses. You have you know a billion dollars a year guaranteed. What would you do with all of your free time? Because you're not just going to like sit and stare at your feet. You're probably going to do something. So whatever it is that you would do with all that time that is probably what you should do and you should probably try to find a way to get paid for that. Well, that's kind of what we do already. <laughs> um, whenever we have a spare dollar, you know, it ends up going back toward dance somehow, <laughs> probably in the form of going to another event. 
um, sometimes in the form of fixing shoes that have holes in them yes. uh, or buying jeans that fit, things like that. Um, and it definitely does not feel like you know, a day job or I guess a night job um, if it's something that you were going to do already. So you know, having the means to support itself, what else could you ask for? Yeah, exactly. Because you don't need like a yacht. You don't need to get rich off of this. It's it's just something that um, you want to do until you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Number 10 uh, was be honest, professional and a person of integrity. And of course, the first two people I thought of were Joe and Rachel. And they've both done this next one. Number 11, create multiple streams of passive residual income. Take the skills that you have right now and figure out ways that you can create products or services that will help you earn more money and generate passive residual income. Figure out how to create something once, like a DVD or Vimeo series of instructional uh, videos, and get paid for it over and over and over again. Yes. um, Rachel is quite the genius entrepreneur, if I don't say so myself. Um, she has certainly figured out how to use her skills, her passions, and her knowledge to create something that is also going to give her the financial benefits. Um, and it's certainly something we've talked about many a different times of like, what could we create? What could we do to help the line dance community, but also potentially also maybe see some type of return in investment as well. Um, And although we haven't quite struck gold yet, we're at least talking about it. So hopefully soon that, that that'll be something that strikes up. Um, One of the nice things I also think about this is uh, seven arrow films and Kelly Christine Photography, you know, they're at all these these events and they're filming and they're taking pictures and they have that as their income, but also they get to go to all of these events. They're hired on at several different events, both in the line dance and the West Coast world. And so they're able to travel a lot and they're able to dance when they can, um, so it, it's something that seems to be working out pretty well for them. So there are things that you can do and things you can create that allow you to travel more and get to more of these events. Number 12, own your craft. You have to train hard and consistently to make it in this business and to be competitive. Audition for programs that offer scholarships to get access to high-level training and work on developing your own signature performance style. You seem like you're owning your craft right now. Solo line competitor. I am, yes. (laughs) I am, yes. Uh, Owning my craft, I take as many lessons as I possibly can for one, so that I can learn more dances. Two, learn more styles of dances. But three, learn more styles of instruction. That is making me a better instructor, I think, because I'm able to find 
certain ways that certain instructors really speak to a class and how they call out certain steps. And when it makes sense to me, I'm hoping that then I can translate that and make sense to my particular class as well. Um, honing my craft. I had, like I, you had mentioned and I had mentioned before, uh, Kat Painter is my solo line dance competition coach. She's going to be helping me with technique and learning the different pieces that I need and the rules and how to compete and how to showcase myself. Um, and so that I can improve on my dancing ability. Um, another thing I do is I really do push my comfort levels on dances. If it's something that I'm not used to a style that I'm not used to. I'll just do more repetitions of it until it feels a little bit more natural to me. And I do that with you at Ives. I do that in, you know, club. I do that uh, on my own. So it's, it, it is something that takes practice. Number 13, cultivate your skills and establish your value proposition. What do you have to offer that is valuable to others? What do you have to offer that is different or unique from other dance artists? Be more than just a great dancer. Be a great performer. Be masterful in one area. Have a specialty. Be skillful in other areas outside of dance. Be someone who's built their own brand and has their own following and brings a large network to the table. I like this one. Number 14, <laughs> unless I go back to number 13 uh, in the course of the next two, discover your purpose as a dance artist and a person. And I think this is related to the previous one because finding your purpose is what will uniquely end up being your brand, if you would like to call it that. Clarity is priceless and purpose is powerful. When you know why you do what you do and how... Another power wants you to use your gift to make a positive impact on the world. You are unstoppable. You carry yourself differently. You speak differently. And you overcome obstacles much faster with more determination and a spirit of perseverance. Understand early on in your career that your passion is tied to your purpose. And it's not just about you. It's all part of a divine plan for your life. This will help to shape the way you see things throughout your career and give you a great perspective on life. This is actually something that we've talked about recently where it's kind of like a eureka moment where I was thinking about what is it that I feel like I, I focus the most on in dance, like what motivates me the most. And it's that feeling that I might be able to help somebody with a dance that they really want to do. And whatever it is that my role is at the time in helping them do that, that is what I would want to you know, execute uh, to the best of my ability, whether it's wall leading them or giving them a full lesson or just starting the first wall and then they remember it from there or finding the song because I have a knowledge of songs that go with dances and a DJ might not know all of them. I might be able to help in that way. I might be able to create a workshop where certain classic dances are played um, and focused on because maybe they won't get played at major events. Whatever it is, that feels like the thing I'm most inclined to do is to help people have their dance uh, be danced by them wherever they would feel you know, the best experience of doing that dance. And if you look at that like it's a, some kind of a brand identity and 
you know, label it like that, then that really helps you clarify what you individually bring that somebody else might approach differently. Like maybe they're the hip hop guy or they're the, I can help you dance pretty person, whatever it might be. Do you have thoughts about either of these two? Um, I think you pretty much covered most of it. Ultimately, it comes down to asking yourself what you do want and what you think you're currently good at and what path you need to do to bridge the two. Um, it is it is important to know, are you the type of person who just wants to go to as many events as possible and just dance and have fun and enjoy your life? Are you the type of person who wants to work the events? Are you the type of person who wants to host the events? Um, what can you do in that sense? Are you someone who wants to put on local classes because you think more people need to be dancing? Um, are you the person that's going to advertise for these local classes? I mean, there's so many different things that you as an in individual can add, not only as a dance artist, but as a person attendee as well. Number 15 of 15. Own your work and own your brand. You are a dance artist, which means you are a brand. Create an LLC or corporation to separate your personal life from your business life as a freelance artist. Be smart about how you treat the work that you do, the services you provide to dance companies, studios, and organizations. Value yourself and know your worth. When you own your work and your brand, you have much more earning power when it comes to establishing business relationships, creating multiple streams of passive income for your brand, and being taken seriously when negotiating contracts. This relates back to number 14 above. Once you know what your purpose is and create a mission statement, you can be clear about who your brand is and what it represents. This will evolve throughout your career, but it is crucial to establish this as early on as you can. It causes you to think differently from someone else who is just going from audition to audition, hoping for someone else to define and establish who they are as a dance artist. Remember, if you have a brand that isn't generating revenue, then you are destined to fail. It takes money to create art, to travel, to eat, to live, and to produce. Therefore, your brand's profitability should be at the top of your priority list, and your daily actions should be geared toward these tasks, relationships, and opportunities that generate revenue. Find the balance between avoiding the, avoiding the reality that you need money to survive and thrive and becoming obsessed with the pursuit of more money. There is a smart and happy medium. This article is titled how to make it how to make it in the dance biz with no money 15 tips by ashani mfuko on let's talk dance.net do you have any thoughts on owning your work and owning your brand it just kind of sums it up with you know take pride in your work and just do the best you can i mean that that's really because when you're taking pride in your work, you're taking pride in yourself. And what what was that famous quote? Um, stand for something or you'll fall for everything. Kind of along the same lines. Stand behind yourself and what you're putting out. And really do believe in what you want to accomplish as being possible. And I think that it is not selfish nor vain to try and put out the best work that you can 
even if it is seemingly self-focused because it's like we've looked at um, dance videos and seen what Rebecca Lee has done in the past with her demos and how much time she and thought she's put into presenting herself. One of the things that we've, we've said repeatedly is line dance deserves this. Like we've seen the kind of fuzzy potato quality videos, you know, in, in socks in your kitchen, uh, not your kitchen specifically, but just in one's kitchen or, you know, random driveway and thought, this is how line dance is being presented to the world. This is what people are going to click on and see and think, yep, that's line dance right there. And by taking yourself seriously as a professional, as they're saying, and saying, you know what, I, I think it's all right for me to put some time and money and thought into how I look and how much um, I, I care about this and how, how developed I can become. Um, it, it might seem like, well, you know, I should be spending this money on grains of flour overseas or something. But you know what? Like, it is okay to better yourself as it will then serve the rest of the people you care about within the field that is specifically, in this case, line dance. I agree. All right. We went a little bit over our declared one hour of time. But that's all right, because I really like this topic. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio. We really appreciate having you out there listening to us even when we go 17 minutes over time. Until next time, Megan and I will be very excited and happy to see See you on on the dance dance floor. floor.